The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Rev. Temple Hayes. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for thank you so much for tuning in with us today. It's uh, such a pleasure, and I'm well aware that you're either tuning in at current time on a Wednesday at 2 p.m., uh, 1 p.m. Central, or you are tuning in at another time. And whenever that time is, I just want to say thank you for giving this show your attentiveness and your intention. It is the intentional spirit. And I really, I love this show. I'm, I'm glad that um, we changed the title to say the intentional spirit because boy, this is the time to be an intentional spirit. And, you know, I think one of the things is when you're, when you're a person, you do your light work and you do your shadow work. It's times when you're in your shadow work that people tend to want to just say, I'm not addressing anything until all of this is behind me. And you kind of can spend your whole life at all of this being behind you. And there are other people that take whatever it is, lighter shadow, and they become intentional and they are trailblazers, difference makers, paving a new path. I would like to say that I think uh, that Dina Miriam is a, an enlightened rebel And I've been talking about that a number of years, that there are moments in our history and in our neighborhoods that we need to get angry about what we see. However, to address it, there needs to be the redirect of enlightenment behind that to be a real difference maker. So Dina Miriam, welcome to our show today. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Temple, for having me. You have been doing just, um, I I don't think you sleep. Uh, You're just doing amazing work all the time um, with your Global Peace Initiative of Women. And we we had you on our show before. You are very popular. Um, And I know that, I know what you're going to say. I'm not, you're one of those people that I'm with you. Full of spirit, not full of myself. And I mean, I have to look really hard to even find your name on your work. <laughs> I was that way too for the longest time. By that the was way, intentional. <laughs> I I know it is. Um, so welcome, and I'm I'm so glad you're here. It's been a while since we have spoken. 
Uh, maybe we were just in the beginning of knowing how to spell COVID, and now we have allowed it to spell us. So can you um, kind of check in, and for people that haven't heard you before, I don't want them to perceive they're missing something. So tell us about your life and your path, and how did you get involved in these projects, and really why do they matter to you? You know, I got involved, um, I was an activist in my youth uh, for civil rights, you know, for peace. And then when I uh, was 20 years old and I discovered my my teacher, my guru, and my meditation path, I sort of switched gears and spent the next 20 years focusing on that, raising my children, uh, and really uh, uh, focusing on developing a, a spiritual practice, which for me was meditation, and, and reading, reading sacred texts. Uh, and then when my kids were grown and, and, I, and I was able to come out more in the world, I, my activist side came out again. And I sort of um, found myself in the interfaith world, which is not something I would have envisioned for myself or thought, but I sort of backed into that, that, uh, that world and found that there were very few women's voices. And so that's how, that's how the Global Peace Initiative of Women started. Uh, to, to create a space where women could lead these interfaith uh, peace dialogues. But, but we've got, that's 20 years ago, but we've come a long way since then and, and work a lot with young people. Not, it's no longer led just by women, it's women and men, um, because really the goal is gender balance. It's, it's to have women and men equally sharing their, their vision and, and um, their visions for the world. So, so uh, I became an, an activist, uh, but from a spiritual point of view, is, is trying to raise consciousness, uh, not just to come up with band-aid approaches to the world's problems, but a shift in consciousness, because that's the only thing that's going to really change the problems, uh, help us solve the problems. It's a shift. You know, all the crises we face, whatever it is, conflict, COVID, whatever, it is spiritual crises at, at, at heart. And then um, when COVID hit, there was this, you know, I've been traveling, traveling for years, you know, every other month on the plane going somewhere, organizing dialogues, a lot of dialogues with young people around climate change, around, uh, around human unity, gone to all sorts of places for these dialogues. But then there was a forced pause, which was the best thing that could have happened to me, <laughs> where I had to stay home. And and I found that um, I could express so much of what I wanted to say through writing, through my books. And so it's been a very productive time for me these past 18 months. I had been writing before that, but this was an intensification of inner work and and being able to focus on my writing day after day. Normally, I'd I'd write on weekends uh, because I was... And then when I was traveling, I wouldn't be able to write much. But here I was able to devote day after day to trying to explain, express what I was seeing in my inner life. And so, uh, you know, a lot of us are wondering what comes next. I mean, we're now into a new mode of being, uh, which is that we can do a lot of the things we need to do from home. Uh, And which means that we don't have to expend so much energy uh, uh, and that we can spend more time on our inner work or spiritual work or, or creative work. So, so, so we're also learning to live with the unknown, with, with uh, knowing that 
things could change tomorrow, next week. You know, we may go out, start to go out again, and then we may have to retreat. So we're learning to live with the, with the uncertainty, uh, which I think is a truth about life in any case. You know, we, we carry on a life as if everything's going to stay the same. But that's not really, I mean, at any moment we could, we could um, anything can happen to us, you know. Loved ones could, could uh, leave the world. The unexpected, we have to be prepared for the unexpected. So I think this has been, for many people, a very, very beneficial time. I know there are others who have not found it so. Uh, um, it depends upon where your focus is. If your focus is inward and, and on spiritual work, then you can then people can use this for great benefit. This this time, this collective pause that's been forced upon us. So I I don't know what it will be like. Uh, Friends are beginning to ask me, are we going to gather again? Because so much of the work of my organization, the Global Peace Initiative of Women, is organizing spiritual gatherings. And I'm sure we will begin to gather again, but maybe it will be in a different way with a different consciousness. Uh, you know, I think that, that um, the shift in consciousness that so many of us talk about that, that we feel is underway, um, it, 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 it has to be... It has to be significant enough that we can come up with our solutions to some of the crises that we face. You know, it. I, I feel for people right now that aren't comfortable, that want to be into perfectionism and don't feel comfortable saying, I don't know. Because <laughs> that's been uh, like an answer, you know, I mean, and, and and to be comfortable saying, I have no idea. I don't know. When is this going to happen again? Who knows? You know, it's a very, uh, you know, it, it, you know, who ever predicted that it would just go on and on and on. Right. And right. that here would still be, um, you know, it's like, we're, we're so in the innocence of life living in what we, and what we don't know. You know, and it's it's been a fascinating ride. And then it became, it seems to me, and I'm just, I'm just free flowing thinking, you know, this isn't going in a book. This is not permanent opinion here, but it's just real interesting. It's almost like now COVID has become the conversation about everything, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, people are relocating. And, you know, somebody was saying that about me because I'm I'm relocating across the entire United States has nothing to do with COVID. Um, mm. but, but, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like that's because yeah. of COVID. They're gone because of COVID. They don't come anymore. And so it's just it's how to make uh, some of it really true and unfolding and. And, and yet how to, how to be in it and, and not, it is a fact, it's a very true fact. And yet how to maneuver through life, because also a lot of incredible things, you know, like you're saying, have come through, through now in the, in the work I'm at, at community, then, well, that's not particularly fun. And 
it, it's not even the procedural part, right? Of you got to wear a mask and all that. But it's also, there's something very interesting when you are a orator and you talk to masked people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in, in your humanity, you rely so much upon the heart and soul and the connection of one's face, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think I think what we're experiencing as a as a world community is much bigger than COVID. You know, it's interesting that while COVID we've going through this period now, the last eighteen months, we're also experiencing a lot of extreme weather events. So why now? You know, I mean, it's like we are give, be, being sent messages. We're <laughs> you know we're we're being right. told we're 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 being. Um, given certain information and it will keep happening until we can make the shift necessary because it is time to, to kind of reformat our society. And there are many, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of frustration with, with the way, with the systems that exist, but not enough vision of what could come next. What kind of, what, what would a truly, um, how beneficial society look like, you know? And so, so there's a there's a there's a Buddhist teacher, Joanna Macy, who's who's often quoted as saying, "You can focus on what's wrong, or you and 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 the crumbling down of systems, or you can focus on birthing new ways of being. You have to choose. And so." It's much more, um, I think, uh, uplifting to focus on on the on the birthing process, and I think we are in a birthing process, and birthing is painful, as as we all know, and we don't know what's going to come out. Um, you know, but... Exactly, and I I believe you know it as a as a woman because I think you mentioned children. I I don't know that experience. Um, I know the that birthing of that visionary that you have the idea and it is fascinating because you don't know you don't know yeah. how it you know will come out so it's pretty it it has been an, an incredible journey for those of you that are just tuning in I'm talking to Dina Miriman and her website is gpiw.com you can go to that excuse me, gpiw.org. Uh, you can also join the initiative on Facebook, Global Peace Initiative of Women, or you can also access it, you know, through the website itself. So um, here we are, and we're, we're talking about the, the, these times. Well, you work with women from all over the world. Um, could you kind of give us some data or insight or uh, aha moments that people have been having in other in other countries? Do you and I know these are just opinions, but do you do you feel that internationally have we been brought closer together because we're all dealing or facing the same kind of things? Or with different restraints and borders and stuff like that? From your window of the world, have we divided? I, I think that there are both movements going on. <laughs> um, 
which is to say, you know, like everything else, we're in a we're in a in a very uh, sort of um, period of shifting. You know, there there. If, if just think if 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 um, COVID had hit us before we had Zoom and all the other platforms that have emerged in the last few years, it would have been a much different story. People could not have conducted business. People could not have stay connected to their loved ones. Uh, you know, a lot of people who live away from their families have been connecting on Zoom. And that's really, even though it's not quite the same of being in person, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, I've been able to. I've hardly, I mean, I haven't, I haven't traveled at all the last 18 months, which is, you know, highly unlikely for me. Um, hardly leaving my town where I live in upstate New York. But I've been able to connect with people weekly across the world. Um, so, you know, uh, last th- this week I spoke with um, somebody from India, a friend in Texas. You know, these are all people that are part of my work network. A woman from Afghanistan, uh, you know, wanting to know what it was, what really was going on on the ground there. Uh, because you, you get just little snippets in the news. You don't get an accurate picture. And so I think that, that in many ways... Uh, uh, people have have there is a growing community of like-minded people globally. At the same time, look at it, within our country, we, we we have greater polarization. So you have both going on. You have stronger coming together among those who who share certain values, and then you have greater polarization. Uh, and that's our challenge now: is how do we overcome that polarization? And because I've done a, a lot of work in conflict areas, I learned that, um, that, that, that the first step in, in any kind of uh, effort to bring people from different points of view together is to get people to listen, to listen to the other side, because often you come with very fixed notions. You know, th- these people are wrong. They're just wrong. And y- you're not looking at their humanity, their fears, their concerns, you know, what's driving their thinking. And so I've sat, you know, over the past 20 years with Palestinian and Israeli women. I've sat with Iraqi women, both the Shiites and the Sunnis. I've sat with uh, uh, Afghanis. And, and as I said, that my work has started out with women, but it's, it quickly moved beyond that to be both women and men. And, you know, you can spend three days sitting with them while they're yelling at each other. And you think, oh, my God, this is a disaster. But on the fourth day, there's a breakthrough. And they finally... It, 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 they get to hear what the other person was saying, what the other side was saying. And, you know, among the people who participate in that, a transformation takes place. Because once you open your heart, really, and that's what it's a matter of, you know, we often come to these situations, and we see it in our country now, with with, with closed hearts, you know. It's like the other is the enemy. Uh, and, and so... You know, we have to work hard to overcome that, and I think the first step is, is listening and trying to understand what created these perceptions. What, is, what are the fears? There's usually fears behind it. So what are the fears? And so it's, it's, it's um, hard work. I mean, there's no question about it. It's, it's hard work, and the deeper the polarization, the harder it is, really, to get people to um, put aside their fixed notions and to come more into and, and to sort of move into their heart space uh, uh, so they can so they can have compassion you know for, for what other people are going through 
So I think both. I think the answer is that both. I think that there's a there's a, been a, a closer uh, coming to a deeper coming together of people across the world who are working for the same goals, working for climate change, who who um, see the need for human unity, uh, and then I think you also have more polarization uh, because uh, you know everything everything becomes a political issue. Things that are not political issues become political issues. So, so, um, so and that's one of the challenges that we face right now. You know, it's not just the, the challenge of overcoming the virus or, or the, the weather events. It's the challenge of how do we overcome this divide that's that's become so deep in our country. So that you the truth, right? Yeah, that that that. Uh, but but we have to do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, right? We have to do, like, do it. You know, we we have to find a way to deal with the climate issues. We have to find a way to come to to create a place of greater unity. Uh, uh, I mean, it starts at home. You know, I say it starts at home. And so, if you have disunity in your family, you know that's what you got to attend to first. And then, if you have disunity in your country, you got to deal with that before you start talking about a, you know the world. <laughs> you know, you got you got to uh, you've got to find your shared values. You know, and 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 really, it's about tolerance, finding a way to tolerate um, other points of view. I think that's what we're facing. I think that's what we're 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 facing now uh, as a country. And so, a lot of my work has been international over the years, in places where there's conflict. It's only recently, in the last few years that I thought, well, you know, we need to pay attention to this country. <laughs> We've got problems here, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, goodness, yeah. yes. We're, we, you know, the, the thing about some of the countries, there's, uh, this is, uh, you know, Temple Hayes' opinion. <laughs> it's not in a magazine somewhere. You know, other countries are, are so aged, you know, and we're still newbies. In, in so many ways and um, and often known for the things that ultimately may or may not be that important. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they do matter accomplishments, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, when we're stripped away, like we have been recently of what could be possible or not and not understanding, you know, we used to wash our, um, you know, our, our knives when we would open our, you know, our package, you know, in the very beginning of this. And when you get down to that level, um, all this external stuff is so overrated. Again, that doesn't mean it's wrong to have it, but it's so overrated because that's what teachers like you and teachers like me, you know, uh, and many others, uh, say all the time, you know, it, it, it Stephen Covey started me thinking about this, and then I then I shortened it um, when he wrote those seven habits of um, highly effective people. But really, at the end of everything stripped down, your life and your character could be guided by the last thirty minutes at your eulogy of what people say. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you come back to now and say, "Am I lined up with that? Am I congruent with that? You know, if I really, you know, and I think that's also a great measure for um, 
you know what I we just did a memorial for this man that was so highly revered here and um and and it was just amazing and you know the the takeaway was um I, I never heard him I never saw him upset you know or hmm. he he I, I and these are people that were up close and personal and it was just it takes a well-intended person that people would stand before a room and say those things and he was, uh, excuse me, by the way, going to be 93. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a lot of people watching. And um, right. and often that's a measure for me, you know, is this going to make my life in 45-minute speech? Because if mm-hmm. it isn't, it doesn't mean I won't give it some attention, but how many days does it does it deserve? Or warrant, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's 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 like the gloaming sometimes right now. I I love the gloaming. It's where it's absolute light and absolute dark right before darkness sets in in the sky, and um, that's mm-hmm. where some really rich things can be seen and felt. You know that that that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've I've um, been what we talked about birthing birthing a new a new society, and you don't know what's going to be born. Uh, a few years ago, I realized that the best thing I could do is is really focus on young people in their twenties and thirties and forties, who are really going to be the shapers of the future. Uh, and they need counsel for sure because they don't have the life experience to, to understand really cause and effect and and uh, and you know um, some of the, the you know some of the wisdom that you gain over the years. But but they also ha- come in with a different um, expectation. The world has changed mm-hmm. so much when you look back over a lifetime. You know, one generation to the next, we're in a we're in a period of rapid change. And and the life of one generation is going to be very different from the life of the next generation. Of course, it wasn't always like that. You could go many generations with very little change in terms of one's life. You know, so um, that we are in a period of change. And, and uh, you know, the young people have to sort of lead that. So that's been very, very encouraging, speaking with these young people. Mm. Oh, yeah. I, I I can only imagine. Uh, everyone we're talking to, um, Dina Miriam, her organization is Global Peace Initiative of Women. She lives for uh, and expresses the work that is so in her, and she has such a passion for it. Please go to her Facebook page and, um, you know, like it and, and follow, as well as you can go to her website, gpiw.org and get involved with her work she's doing amazing things we'll be right back after this short break you're listening to unity online radio Voice of an Awakening World.
Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, I trust and know someone's told you that you are valuable and that you are necessary today. And if somebody else hasn't told you, I, I trust more importantly that you have told yourself that and that you can feel that in your heart. And every week here um, on the show, we feature difference makers. Uh, we we showcase people that they have a dedication to making the world a better place because they were in it. My My teacher forever ago said... Um, <laughs> that, you know, you're not here to solve all the problems of the world. Uh, you're here simply not to be one of them. And I always thought that was kind of cute and fun. And then in evolution, um, I like to move beyond uh, what I affirm about the world and, um, and, and hold the wholeness of the world and of nature and how nature responds to things over time, et cetera. So anyway, um, I'm just thrilled that we have uh, Dina Merriman again. We've had her before. We believe in her work. We stand behind it. So she's a powerful human being, but she won't let you know that, and she won't put her picture up. But I'm just saying, (laughs) you know, she's a catalyst for the divine. And that's, that's what it's about. And um, she just has a lot to say. Dina, you have a new book out, right? I do. I do. And, and uh, as I said earlier, you know, there, there are two parts to my work. The first part is the, the Global Peace Initiative, the activism, uh, the peace work, environmental work that we do. And then the other is the writing, where I can really express my, uh, my um, inner experiences and, and this book, I started before COVID. Uh, I started it about two years ago, uh, finished it during the first part of COVID, um, uh, came out earlier this year. And it was interesting to me because it, uh, there, are two, there are two parts to it. The first part, uh, it's, about, it's about many things, one of the things being the law of cause and effect, karma, how that works in our lives. First part takes part in ancient India during an era where there was much more harmony with the natural world. And that was interesting for me to see what it was like to live in a more natural surrounding where life where your life was in, 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 in sync with the rhythms of, of nature. Uh, and then the second part takes place many thousands of years later in China, in in a time of cultural flourishing in China. I didn't know much about China. I, I didn't identify much with with China until I started writing this book, and and I found myself as a Taoist woman poet in medieval China, and completely absorbed in that world. Uh, I didn't know much about Taoism beforehand, but I came to love the beauty and simplicity of the philosophy. And when I finished the book, I thought to myself, this is really relevant today because China is in the news all the time. What do, what do most of us know about Chinese culture? It's very, very ancient. The culture goes back many thousands of years, um, and, and it's a be- got a very profound spirituality to it. And even though the current political system doesn't reflect that, there are many people in the country who do. 
um, you know, China's many things just like America's many things. Um, we tend to judge a place by the political system that they have at the moment. Uh, you know, people judge America by whoever our, our whatever our government is doing at that moment. But oh, we are God help our us. government. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Oh my gosh. Yes. That's sad, isn't it? That that's the view of some of our representatives who are so not us in so many ways. But I get And that's what the world sees because they don't Uh know the rest of us. For so many years, I've traveled around the world saying, that's not who America is. (laughs) No, not at all. And I've talked about the the, uh, powerful spiritual movement that's been growing over the past many decades here in this country. Uh, and that's the that's the America that I know. This this growing spiritual movement, unifying spiritual movement. Uh, and I start I've started working with young people in China who are deeply spiritual. Um, my books are all being translated into into Chinese, and so I got to see a different side of China, which I think it's important for us to tap into, uh, because we are going to be dealing with China now. I mean that that's the new reality. Uh, and of course, we have to deal. The politicians have to deal at the political level, but those involved in spiritual work have to deal at the spiritual level. I was, I was set after I finished my book. I decided I wanted to go to China to the sacred mountains that I had envisioned, that I had talked about in the book. And I was set to make the plans, and then COVID hit, and everything got got stopped. Uh, but but in my mind, when I think of China. I try to tap into that spiritual energy. Now there's a very strong Buddhist energy. I tapped into the Taoist energy. I saw myself as a Taoist poet in 8th century China, and I identified very strongly with that role. Um, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I think that I want to continue to talk about, when I speak publicly, about the importance of recognizing the ancient spiritual energy of China, the fact that it has so many sacred places, sacred mountains, uh, where hermits have lived for so many years away from the world doing their spiritual work. That's the China that I want to have uppermost in my mind as we go through this next period of tension, really, political tension with China. And I think some of it is not understanding their culture. Uh, I mean, I learned that, as I mentioned earlier, I spoke to a a woman on the ground in Afghanistan who I'd worked with. She does education for women in Afghanistan. And, you know, as she expressed it, the Americans came in, they didn't understand, we didn't understand their culture. We try to impose things that we think are right. (laughs) Uh, but, But I think that part of the shift that we need to go through is to realize that every culture has its own set of uh, principles and we can't go in with our principles and our history and and the way we do things and expect others to happily come along and so we need a little bit more humility in regard to our I think our foreign policy and how we interact with other nations you had asked me are we getting is there more unity or more polarization I think we need to do a deep um, a deep reflection and look at our, our sort of our recent history and and see you know where have we been successful and where have we not been successful and why? Yeah, almost like a, 
you know, almost like a, like this, this start again. Uh, not long ago, I was invited to be part of a, um, because of my involvement with leadership education. And, and I, I have a website that teaches uh, through the shamanic journey, a whole different level of leadership. Leadership isn't just reading books and learning to quote people and learning how to do a talk. Do you know what I mean? So I I have been doing that for a while and they invited me to be on this team um, to, you know, offer ideas and and support and uh, knowledge and brainstorming to do something new. That's really great. And and I, I was still kind of sitting with it, you know, because things like that are, uh, it's one thing to be asked and go, oh, you know, what a privilege. It's another thing to be asked and be a follow through person and also wonder how much time is this going to take and what's the efforts. Mm-hmm. But when I was seeing the emails going around and seeing the documents and please read this and please read that, I thought this is going to be more of the same and just called something different. And I, I, that's what I believe that you were strongly saying or inviting people to search their heart. It's like, we're talking in some ways, radical shifts, Mm -hmm. radical changes of just, you know, because it would have made me so happy if I had gotten an email and it said, let's be in prayer about this and everybody show up at our meeting as a blank canvas. Well, I would have been all over that, but to bring in, you know, data and do the same. And that is what happens so much. Like you're saying, let me come in and show you what I've always been doing. uh, Not even knowing what the vibration here is. And let's just keep doing some more of that, you know? And uh, I think, yeah, I think that 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 is Thank heavens, it doesn't work that way. Well, it it it, it doesn't work, and it's it's going to keep until we realize. You know, it's like if you hit your head against the wall and it hurts, you might do it a second or third time. Eventually, you're going to stop hitting your head against the wall. Eventually, the message gets through. <laughs> and right. I, exactly, and I think the more we just keep following the old patterns, you know, it's about changing our patterns of behavior. When we talk about a shift in consciousness, we're talking about changing old patterns of behavior that we just automatically fall into at an individual and a collective level. Individually, we know when you have a habit you want to change, you have to consciously work to change that habit. If you want to give up coffee, it's not easy. You have to be consciously working with that, whatever it is that you want to change. You have to work at it. And collectively, we've got to do the same thing. And I, I unfortunately, I don't think we've gone through uh, a collective re- reflection on, uh, uh, on, what, on really what we need to do differently as a country. How do we need to behave differently, you know? I think um, we just are following the same patterns. Uh, I'm talking about sort of internationally now. Right. And uh, eventually we're going to have to change, you know, and, you know, we, we I can't say exactly what that looks like. But I think it's, you know, listening to other countries, being more respectful, you know, um, and, and, and humble ourselves, having humility about, you know, where we are in the world stage. We can't come in mm-hmm. and say we've got the answers for everybody. Do it our way, you know. 
Yes. And that's not an easy thing to change because, you know, we've we've been a lone superpower for a long time. And we you know, we were we were the, the wealthiest country, you know, the leader in technology, the leader in so many areas. But the world is changing now and can we kind of adapt to a new situation? Um it's gonna take some real leadership, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. It's gonna, and I think I think um we don't really see that coming up yet. Right. Oh, there's a question because, you know, you have been, uh, I, I've traveled international as well, and I have a reverence and a respect, and and yet certainly nowhere near the, the level that you have. Um, but this is something that I've, that I've wondered because of a statement someone made to me uh, one time, and I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, principles and, you know, and, and, and ways of life. Um, I, I totally get that. And, um, especially when you're talking government, please just leave people alone, you know, in, on one level and what you're saying. Um, but on the other hand, um, when, when you're a vegan and you go into a country and that's not what they practice, what does that look like? And how do you hold that? That's something that you can't do, but yet they do rituals and it's very important to them. How do you, I'm just curious, you know, I don't know that this applies to your beautiful book, The Untold Story of Sita, (laughs) Sita, an empowering tale for our time, which is, uh, that is the book that you and I talked about when we were just coming into COVID. Gosh, it's been that long. Where have you been? Yeah. Um, Anyway, what, how do you, how do you handle that? Um, because you want to be respectful, but you're just not going to eat that, that pig, no matter what. So what, what does that look like? You know, I've had, I've had a lot of experience in this area. <laughs> well, that I must be why it's coming up for me to ask you, because somebody told me that one time, well, if you go with me and you go there, then Temple, you're going to have to do that. And I go, I I can't, you don't understand. I mean, I would be sick the rest of the trip. What's the point in going? I'll just stay home. What, what does that look like, uh, Dina? For, for me, I mean, I, most places I've been able to manage, but if, uh, a few years ago, I think it was, uh, about four years ago, four or five years ago, I took a, a, a an interfaith peace delegation to Iran. It's when the negotiations first time around were taking place, and in Iran there was there was just nothing for vegetarians. There were two or three of us who were vegetarians on this trip, and mm-hmm. they they often people make accommodations, but there was no accommodations to be made. So I ended up eating for a week. Uh, uh, just rice and and uh, some vegetables like carrots or, or or lettuce, and it was it was difficult, you know, and bread, a lot of bread. <laughs> uh, usually, I can compensate if I'm in Europe. You know, there's always cheese. Uh, in India, there's always vegetarian. Uh, you know, further, you know, Japan, uh, there's tofu. China, there's tofu, tofu in Taiwan, but here. Uh, uh, there was just nothing, no accommodations for vegetarian. And of course, uh, you know, I've been a vegetarian for what, 50 years. I couldn't change. Yes. I mean, I couldn't think of eating, changing my eating habits. And so I just accommodated by eating 
badly for for a week um you know and and I didn't say anything to them. I mean, they knew we were vegetarian, a few of us, um, and they didn't make an accommodation. So we just—it was a very, it was not an easy trip, <laughs> as you can imagine, <laughs> for numerous reasons. Um, but uh, certain accommodations you have to make. For example, we wanted to go into the main to the main uh, mosque there, and uh, I was. We were a delegation of about 10 people, and one of the women was a very powerful, prominent Catholic nun, Sister Joan Shittister. And they told us uh, we had to wear these, you know, uh, black uh, robes over our head and everything. And she refused. She said, I'm not going to wear that. He said, well, you can't go in otherwise. I said to her, look, Joan, (laughs) either you stay outside or you have to wear it. We can make this accommodation. Certain things you have to make an accommodation. So we we put it on. Of course, it was difficult because it wasn't ours. It was probably used by hundreds of people. They just gave it to us and say, put this on. Um, and so it was not a pleasant experience, but we didn't want to insult them. So right. there are certain things you don't want to insult your, the, 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 the hosts, so you have to make accommodations. But when it comes to food, I think you have to be respected and, and not be forced to eat something that's unpleasant. So different ways yeah. that you accommodate. And it is fascinating because, you know, just like the Camino Trail, you know, when I was asking specific day-to-day questions about that, because you learn when you travel different places that oh yeah, what you ask is the most important part of your experience, you know? <laughs> so anyway, yes, that's very interesting. And, um, and your answer is certainly helpful to me, but I'm sure, you know, very helpful to others. And, um, and the way of finding that the way of finding that balance, you know, one of my, one of my favorite uh, quotes now is uh, from Mark Nepo, you know, what, what we reach for may be different, but what makes us reach is the same. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. What we reach for may be different. What makes us reach is the same. And if we can, sit at a table of life or on zoom or on radio or uh, with a child uh, that has graced us with their teachings. That's the rich part, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. If absolutely. we can sit in the place of, you know, what makes us reach. That's a, that's a, that's a place. That's a, that's a, a place of possibilities, you know, for sure. For sure, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how, how is your book, uh, The Untold Story of Sita, doing? Well, it's doing very well. It's doing very well, actually, uh, uh, particularly Good. in in India. Good. You know, because it's a it's a a retelling of a of a of a foundational story for India, but it's gotten you know uh, quite a bit of attention here as well, um, because it's it's a it's just a beautiful human story, the story of Ram and Sita. And, you know, all my books are essentially love stories. I mean, that's a love story. Of course, a high, uh, you know, kind of like a, a transcendental love. Um, my new book, When the Bright Moon Rises, is also a love story. And it shows how love uh, survives uh, not just death, but through the millennia. You know, we meet people and you we just think, oh, maybe I knew them in my past life. Well, you could have known them a thousand years ago, you know. It, things don't work exactly one life, you know, just to the next, to the next. I mean, influences come in f- 
from long time ago <laughs> that when the conditions are ripe. And so there are love relationships that, that last through centuries and millennia. And in, in the Bright Moon Rises, I talk about one such a relationship uh, where where the love is unfulfilled in one lifetime and has to, it doesn't find its fulfillment for many for many millennia, but then ultimately it, it does find its fulfillment. And I think I you know I write so much about love because love is the the foundational principle of the universe. Um, um, you know we we are all recipients of so much love uh, that we're not even aware of. You know we all have guides whether you call them angels or. or or devas, uh, gods, whatever we call them, there are higher beings who are helping us along the way, whether we recognize them or not, aware of them or not. And that's out of love, pure pure love. There's nothing there's no benefit they receive from that. And and so, you know, that that uh, um, whenever I'm writing, um, I'm always uh, so inspired by the love that I that I become aware of. Uh, because when I write, I fully immerse myself in the story and in the character uh, that I'm writing about. And so, I, you know, I feel the power of that love, and I think, you know, we so often forget that in our daily life. We get very focused on the, you know, the minutiae, the details, and forget that we are surrounded by so much love, by people that we love, but also by unseen forces that are helping us along. Very powerful. What book are you working on next? I've just finished another book, <laughs> which is in a way a continuation of the Sita book. It's it's uh, uh, takes place several thousands of years later, uh, but, uh, and the incarnation is Rukmini, said to be the rebirth of Sita. She's the wife of Krishna, and um, so I've just finished that book, and I've started another book on on um, uh, 12th century Tibet. It takes place in Tibet. And so uh, it sort of brings together China, India, and Tibet. There's this uh, strong karmic relationship between those three uh, civilizations, we might call them. And so in the process, I've been doing a lot of reading about ancient Tibet, and it was a powerful empire at one time, very powerful, one of the most powerful empires in, in uh, Asia. And so, as always, you know, what interests me is 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 the karmic, you know, cause and condition, you know, causes and uh, cause and effect. Um, why why did Tibet end up being like it is today? What what was the cause in its past that created that condition for it to be what it is today? And of course, you know, the future could be very different. And as I say to people, I was talking to some young people, and they were really bemoaning Afghanistan. And I said to them. The story's not over. You're in the middle of the movie. Many more episodes to come. We're just, right now, we're in a sad episode, <laughs> but everything can turn around. Well, whenever yeah. you start doing uh, either in-person events or a Zoom thing, as, as you know, a Zoom <laughs> gathering, not a Zoom thing, uh, just the, the global peace, you know, initiative with women, yeah. I'd, I'd love to be part of it somehow. I so believe in what you're doing and um, would like to give energy to that. And everyone, uh, I'm talking to Dina Merriman today, and you can go to the website 
um, which is her work, Global Peace Initiative of Women. It's gpiw.org, gpiw.org. And you can also access her Facebook page from there for Global Peace Initiative of Women. And it's a, a beautiful a gathering, um, you know, with people all over all over the world. It started, um, it's 21 years old now, isn't it? Yep, yep. 21 years old, yeah. Where did that go? <laughs> wow. Yeah, a, a lot of gatherings, a lot of uh, relationships uh, and networks over the over the last 20 years, yeah. And new p- people coming in all the time. Wow, that's something. Oh, that's just... Um... What's one of your greatest moments that you can tell us in one minute? <laughs> <laughs> the greatest moment? <laughs> yeah, yeah just something great, that's I've... either current or whatever, a minute and a half. What What is about that 20-year window? What was the first? I know there's a gazillion, but what's the first thing that pops in your heart? Well, one of the greatest events we did was at our fifth-year anniversary um, in India, where we did a whole gathering, and we had hundreds of people on on the divine feminine, the divine the divine mother concept, and we had people from all religions talking about that, and I think that was a turning point for us. And then uh, for the tenth anniversary, we gathered in, in a beautiful nature reserve in Kenya, Africa, and brought people together from conflict areas to talk about healing. That that was another great moment. Um, and then, uh, and now I'm thinking, you know, I think there is a lot of value in gatherings. You, you create a certain energy. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking what to do in this country to help uh, bring together the spiritual energy which has been growing in this country. It doesn't get covered in the news. That's the problem. You don't hear about it. No, but, you don't. But if you work in the spiritual channels, you know about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, always a pleasure, and let's don't wait two years, okay? Let's yes, find a way that we, uh, so we share okay. again. Bye-bye. What a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.